0: All right. Uh, good morning, listeners, and a uh, bit of a change of pace. Thank you to our colleagues uh, from Earth Matters. Always interesting to hear what they've got to say.
1: Absolutely, and and pretty relevant too. Very Jeff, relevant. Because we were just talking about what people were doing about the opioid replacement stuff during the floods. How on earth are they getting to chemists if they're open? It's a really good point. And how are they getting to – I mean, they're not allowed to drive anyway if they've got to drive an hour to go to their – chemists to pick up their methadone. Some guy got arrested for that and charged. So how are they getting to pick up their don't? I know it seems to everybody that we are the last cab off the rank when it comes to thinking about... Who needs know, help and what... Who needs help and yeah. who needs access to health care. Well, people on uh, opioid replacement... Actually, need to be thought of first.
0: Well, it's because they're serious. In, they're
1: in deep, deep doo doo. Yeah.
0: And well, we it, talked about you know people on opiate re- replacement therapy in Ukraine. In the last Ukraine,
1: week. absolutely. But here, locally, we haven't mentioned it at all. No, hasn't made a hasn't made a um, hasn't rated a headline anywhere.
0: Yeah, not that I've seen. Not since
1: that guy was done for driving while it was. When he was going to get his methadone from a chemist,
0: that was a fair while ago, wasn't it? It was a fair while ago. It
1: was at least a year ago.
0: But it's it's a good point, and you're right. They are way down the list. Well, look,
1: illicit drug users are way down the list for everything. Everything. Healthcare. Um, and we've got a piece in here actually about um the United States and what they are using overdose, so-called overdose prevention. Or safe injecting rooms for. So that might be relevant. Good morning, my darlings. I'm Marion, and that was Geoffrey. Yes, we doing should Doing the introduction. Ourselves. This <laughs> is news from the drug war front brought to you by Karma and 2 X Public Radio two, well, 98.3 for all of you who are listening. Indeed. And, and shout out to, um, let's see, Mary. I've got to do a shout out to Chloe and my grandpuppy, Stevie. Stevie, can you hear me? It's grandma talking. Can you understand me? She's my grandpuppy. Oh, okay. I can't. Right? I call her my grandpa because that's as close as I'm going to get to a baby. Grandpa, grandchild forever, I think. But um, And Chloe and I want to see if she recognises my voice over the radio. So I'll be interested to hear if Chloe sends me a, a message saying, no, she didn't recognise you.
0: <laughs> well, let's hope you get a good result. Yeah. yeah and um, welcome to all our regular listeners and any new listeners. We're always uh, happy to... Get feedback and um
1: Yeah, if you if you like the show or even if you don't like the Indeed. show, if you want to to talk about or debate the wars on drugs, which is what we do, tell your friends or even tell your enemies to or people who disagree with you yeah. to or with us to at least listen to the show and give them some and yourselves something to debate because that's where it needs to be done is over the media. Well, one of
0: the critical aspects of this show, aside from uh, reporting what Karma's doing in terms of services and um, peer treatment support and outreach, look how
1: important it was during COVID. Oh, Ka- Karma's activities during COVID important. and the lockdown was incredibly
0: important, wasn't it? And and I think and
1: so was the radio show.
0: I think played a huge role. Well, yeah, we we kept in touch with our community. Yeah, and um, Karma staff did a lot of fantastic work. For people who were in isolation yeah. during the COVID lockdowns. And very
1: proud of them, I was. Very proud and, of and them. And right, rightfully so. Yeah. 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 No, can't, can't. And I mean, there were other people there too, and Department of Health, of course, and other agencies. Yeah. But karma is a whole different kettle of fish. It's a different way of dealing with people with COVID, particularly those who are in isolation. Having a peer on hand to go shopping. For you, for the kinds of, you know, things that people might be needing, it made a huge difference. It does me. make yeah. a huge difference, and being able to access those kinds of services when you're isolated is hugely important.
0: Indeed, and I think Karma really proved their worth during yeah. that period. Yeah,
1: and, and that same goes for the um, the floods. You know, how are they accessing? You know, are the peer education organisations up that? Region, Mm. are they involved in the flood recovery effort and are they dealing? With with people in that situation. People on opioid replacement stuff,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's a serious um, question, yeah. Anyway, welcome listeners to today's edition of News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, which is the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy. Uh, Karma is a peer-based community-controlled drug user organisation with over two decades serving the ACT, and we also have The Connection, which provides um, similar services for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. That's right. Um, now the aim of the show, as you probably gleaned already, is um, we like to, well, we aim to report on and also debate um, the deaths, misery, damage, and harm caused by the prohibition of um, certain drugs. That was enshrined on a global scale back in 1961 with the ratification of the United Nations Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs, and after that there were two sister conventions, which rounds out the the picture, which has yeah. basically created the modern. Um, war on people who use drugs yep. um, and all that comes all with providing
1: it. providing the co- propaganda on which well, the war too. on drugs is based, yeah. Yeah,
0: well, a lot of it is propaganda. I mean, yep. the coverage in the mainstream media is always negative. Um,
1: in- inevitably, yeah.
0: You're not getting too many um, positive... Perspectives of harm no, reduction. No, uh, or-
1: that in for for us, that's one of the beauties of social media. Yeah, is that you can actually get some kind of coverage, um, and personal perspective by from people who are pro, not necessarily pro drug use, but anti. Um, anti-propaganda and anti-just-say-no um, type thing yeah. to drug use. And
0: jailing people for yeah. choosing to put something in their body that happens to be on a list that was ratified in 1961.
1: I mean, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's- get- can we, so long ago, seventy years. We're
0: talking, really, aren't
1: we? It, Sixty years. It's done sorry. so
0: much damage to. Um, over the weekend, I was reading from friends overseas who lost close personal friends to, you know, like we've mentioned before in North America about the fentanyl contaminated, yep. opiate uh, yep. opioids mm. and um, just the the damage and death it's caused on. Um,
1: oh, uh, on a glo- massive scale. Massive scale. A hundred thousand deaths. In the last 12 months in the United States, it's just ludicrous.
0: It's a lot of people and everyone has friends, family, you know, um, loved ones. You know, it impacts more than just the individual who...
1: Well, Every minute that we sit here, we can be sure that someone somewhere in the world is dying from an opioid overdose or from a drug overdose or from the effects of using drugs because... Um, the actions of the police and the army and, as we say, every week we report on something from Brazil or from the Philippines mm. or from Russia or, you know, a range of places where people who have um, very heavy, heavy-handed mm. approaches to drug use have been basically um, wiping out drug use and drug users Because if they just say, no, we don't have that, and then kill the people who contravene that. There's no problem. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. They make it true by making sure that those people die.
0: I I think it's a global disgrace and it should be... one of the top human rights issues, you know. Well,
1: I think the United Nations needs to come to grips with it and stop. You know, WHO has actually changed it, but that's only a branch of of the United Nations. But the UNODC needs to work much harder at making its its, uh, policies reflect what's actually happening in the world.
0: Well, look at the name, the UN Office on Drugs and Crime. Yep. I mean, that says it all. Yep it's not drugs and harm reduction no. or drugs and you know keeping people yeah you know, well alive i or,
1: actually thought it was drug control you UN UN office of drug control
0: but i think yeah. a lot of the un bureaucracy actually has built up as a result of those three conventions and it, they're not working towards you know really improving the situation they're Protecting the current status quo. Indeed, and, they are, and,
1: and
0: and also you know you've got global organised crime cartels that are making huge amounts of money. Yeah, um, they don't want change. They don't want to see prohibition. End. No,
1: and there's actually um, you really have to go back and have a look at where the people who work for United Nations organisations came from in the first place. Mm. They were people who had. This is this is a generalization. I understand that, but they were people who had couldn't get a passport other than a diplomatic passport. So they worked for. They came from Japan, or from Germany, or from you know from places where they had had wars, and they couldn't get a passport from their own country because it would reflect where they came from and what they did during the war. So the United Nations became a thing after World War Two, but it employed people or brought into the fold people who couldn't get permission to travel anywhere by virtue of a passport without getting a United Nations diplomatic passport.
0: Yeah. Well, look, the UN philosophically, like the Charter of Human Rights and things like that, It started off really positively and and seemed like it was going to be, you know, a a great what um, was
1: it originally called? It was, wasn't League it? League of na- oh, The no. League of Nations. Yeah, League of yeah, Nations. Yeah. That's right, it yeah. was. Yeah.
0: yeah. Look, well, we will go to our first song? Um, yeah, go to song, the
1: song and then we'll come back and I'll do what Karma does. Yep. And we'll go to our first story It's then. Uh,
0: another April week, which is where we um, basically Australian report. Yeah, we're m- going to focus music? on Australian yep. music. And I've picked an old uh, but goodie. It's We've Axiom.
1: Got, yeah, yeah. A Little yeah. Way of Sunshine. Yeah, Jack should like those. Original one, yeah. Great old song that by That was Axiom, Axiom wasn't yeah, it? Little Ray of Sunshine. Yeah, and yet that in fact li- reflects um, Little River Band. That was the original um, uh, forerunner of Little River Band, no, I Axiom. I didn't and know that. A lot of the, yeah, a lot of, well, a lot of the um, Musicians groups in came, Australia yeah. um, transitioned from one band to another or became um, studio bands yep. that supported each other. Jack would know most about that more than I do. Do
0: you want to tell listeners a oh, little we'll... bit about what Karma actually yeah. does? Um...
1: Um, Karma provides a wide range of services and we tell you this every week um, But and I'll tell you about those in a minute but most of all you want to remember that Karma in, and The Connection are harm reduction services and they are peer based drug and alcohol services for um White Australians and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, indigenous yeah. populations. Yeah. In fact, we deal with whoever turns up at the door and we'll help with whatever you need assistance with. Exactly. The main issue is making getting access to health care. And uh, one of the big things that we've noticed throughout particularly throughout the pandemic is that access to healthcare is a really important issue. Most users don't access healthcare, um, not mainstream healthcare services, because they get judged the mm. minute they turned up. And, Jeffrey, you've had that problem yourself, I even, have. I have. Over the last four or five And And, Jeff's in a position where he shouldn't need to have to advocate on his own behalf. But, that's just what happens.
0: It's just the reality of the situation, yeah. Marion. You and turn
1: up and say that you are on, to be on a you know, on an opioid support program, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they say you no, know, well, in that case you're just looking just drug seeking behaviour. Yeah.
0: yeah, there's a lot of There's nothing wrong with you.
1: Yeah. It automatically that's what they yeah. say. And that same thing happened to me when I went to a walk in centre.
0: Remember you telling that story very yep. um Clearly, Many times. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone,
1: um, everyone's got an experience community. of yes. some sort, which means they don't go back again, not to the same site no. anyway. They might try again somewhere else um, or they'll go to their own doctor if they can get access to them. But, you know, if you're on a Friday night or a public holiday weekend, Whoa. you can't have access to those services that you know accept you for yeah. who you are. and But even if you do, they might still just assume that you are drug-seeking. It's a serious
0: problem, Erin,
1: oh, no doubt. And it's universal. It's not only Australia. Oh, no. no. Um, as I said, we've got an article about from the United States which uses uh, the safe injecting sites in particular as an opportunity to give access to health care for people who otherwise couldn't afford it or wouldn't make access to it. Indeed. Anyway, so karma um, can assist people with things like uh, advice and advocacy about opioid maintenance and treatment like methadone, suboxone and buprenorphine, accessing treatment for hepatitis C, helping people cope, cope with and overcome the st- stigma and discrimination that drug users inevitably face um, helping people access detox and rehab and other drug treatment services. Uh, it's got a walk-in health clinic with a doctor and nurse in attendance from 10 till 2 every Wednesday. It offers peer education workshops including overdose overdose ma- management training uh, which is naloxone which reverses opioid, which is a fabulous program. And has
0: saved, it's goodness saved knows, how many people's hundreds lives. Of yeah.
1: lives. And we've also got an article from Western Australia where police are actually carrying naloxone with them and they're finding that that's a success It's a very too, encouraging development. Really, and we've, we've actually mentioned that for that before. a while. Yes, yeah. We thought that police should be carrying it. Look, the more naloxone, naloxone out in
0: the community or first responders, the better.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, So Muragudi, which is the Connections uh, Harm Reduction Peer Education Program for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients, and The Fix, which is a series of one-hour workshops that aim to educate people in all aspects of harm reduction in the illicit drug use spectrum. Karma and the Connection provide assistance and advocacy with people who are experiencing issues around housing, police, the courts... Child Custody and Centrelink, all of whom have a huge problem for us as drug users in that they find it very difficult to uh, deal with us because they assume that we are going to be violent or be... um, Uncooperative simply because we don't get what we want. Mm. So, if you're having problems associated with alcohol and drug use and don't know where to get help, or even if you just want to talk about your drug use with someone who can empathize with your experience and who won't judge you for it, call Karma on 6253 3643. So, that's 6253 3643. And if you're unable to help, if we're unable to help, you can, we will then try to find someone who will help you with that issue. Exactly. And Karma has done some incredibly successful advocacy
0: work for very complex, you know, situations.
1: Oh, look. Housing in particular is one such thing, but in doing things like um, combined programs, so like the hepatitis C combination program, what what we do or what Karma does is um, show another organisation what peer education means Mm -hmm. and how it impacts um, the access to the service that people need to have and that they need people to have. So it's really important peer education has a huge role to play in the access to mainstream healthcare services but also in um, getting to people who need that treatment, making sure that they don't die because, as we've been saying, you know, every time... We sit here, not only do we think about, have know many people who have died from either but we also know people who have died from hepatitis C, despite the fact that They're, they knew that the hepatitis C, yeah. that the, the treatments, treatments were there, the, the new, yeah. you know, direct-acting retrovirals, antivirals. antivirals, God, retrovirals. I thought I was getting it right that time. <laughs> direct-acting antivirals were out there. They still didn't use them. And mm. I mean... You know, that's one such person was, you know, the editor of, of um, the Neural Uses magazine. Well, the
0: head of department Reduction Victoria yeah. as well, Jenny. Well, um, same I situation. that's dreadful. Yeah. You
1: know, I,
0: how many people...
1: I remember that we had the same problem with HIV, you know. Yes. We didn't, except for doing needle exchange, um, did we think about safe sex for ourselves? That's a really good point. When we were educating people to carry condoms and to, you know, I mean, it's just the whole issue is just so fraught yeah. with personal um, input. You have to take it personally. Yes. You have to think this means me Yeah, in every stage, in every phase of drug use or sexual interaction. You have to say this means me. Safe yeah. sex means me. Yeah. It's not on, drug use it's means not on. me, that's right.
0: And so many great lessons were um, learned and Australia did so well in response to the HIV AIDS well, epidemic. You know.
1: Absolutely. And then, you know, we, we, the minute we... never we, kicked
0: on. We never, you know...
1: No, no, well, it fell over the minute we... Nothing political yeah, yeah. here. It changed governments. Yeah,
0: sadly. All right, um, this news from the Drug War Front... Uh, program reports on news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from australia and also around the world many of the articles featured in our program come from other sources including the mainstream media which mostly are negative (laughs) Uh, the contents of this broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of karma and the connection karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and we do not promote illegal activity However, we recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and United Nations conventions. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic healthcare and Karma advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people and that's something that we really support. <laughs> That's huh.
1: my grandpappy. I have a picture on my phone and my grandpappy looking at a speaker and my, my grandpappy is looking at the speaker and wondering my, why my voice is coming out of it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. All right. Um, Might go to another quick song before the 11 o'clock news. This is The Loved Ones and The Loved, the loved one. one. Yeah. all right uh, welcome back to news from the drug war front brought to you by karma and the connection this is two double x people powered radio 98.3 fm and um uh, just want to give a shout out to two double x as um a very important community asset for not only programs like ours but um many original programs that are uh, produced by volunteers each and every week and uh Covering a whole array of um, social issues, different genres of music, different um, communities, uh, just the whole gamut of what makes um, our society diverse and interesting. So, if you support our show or any of the others, seriously consider becoming a subscriber to 2XX, or if you've got some time on your hands, maybe putting in a, a few hours as a volunteer. 2XX uh, run training courses in all aspects of putting out. Uh, quality uh, original radio um, that includes you know uh, actually producing shows um, doing interviews editing um, fundraising the whole there's an enormous amount of work that goes into um, uh, keeping the diversity of programs on the air so um yeah shout out to 2Wx and um, keep that in mind okay we mentioned uh, before the news that there is a story from Western Australia. It's by Phil Hickey from the West Australian, 11th of April. Naloxone police trial helps save saves over a dozen lives in the past nine months. Western Australian police officers who carry the drug naloxone with them, and anyone who's listened to the show will know how much uh, we support naloxone. Karma was the first agency in Australia to actually um, develop and run um, Naloxone programs that didn't require people to um, have to call an ambulance or drive somebody to the emergency department at a hospital to access Naloxone. People are trained to recognize uh, an opiate overdose and response with uh, Naloxone, which is now in a nasal spray form called uh, Nixoid. And uh, Dave and Damo uh, are our Naloxone um, experts and they do all sorts of training, whether it's uh, public workshops at the early morning center Uh, They've trained nurses, they've trained staff at other alcohol and drug services. Um, They've done brief interventions, um, especially during uh, the lockdown, where people could be trained uh, in in a matter of minutes how to um, use the naloxone spray. Uh, It's very effective and it only works to do one thing, and that is to revive someone who is at the risk of dying from stopping breathing um, and it kicks out some of the opioids from the receptors and uh, brings people back to life. It's um, an extraordinarily um, effective treatment for reversing opioid overdose. So highly recommend people. And if you're interested in uh, joining one of the programs, um, training takes about an hour. You get uh, a kit of naloxone when you leave and also a payment for your time. And it's invaluable uh, information. And the power to save somebody's life is... um, pretty extraordinary and uh, who knows how many lives have been saved by uh, our naloxone program. It's something Karma is rightfully very proud of. Anyway, Western Australian police officers who carry the drug naloxone with them as part of a landmark trial aimed at rescuing drug overdose victims from near certain death have potentially saved over a dozen lives. Since last July, about 300 Western Australian police officers across Perth and Bunbury have carried the nasal spray, Nixoid, with them. That's the, uh, the nasal spray version of naloxone. Yep. Naloxone reverses the effects of opioids and is typically used to provide emergency first aid to people experiencing an overdose from drugs such as heroin. It is the first time in Australia that police um, have taken part in such a venture although law enforcement agencies overseas have already undertaken many similar trials. The West Australian can reveal that the trial in Western Australia has helped save numerous lives in the past nine months, with more than 12 people given naloxone by police after they had overdosed. Those who were administered the drug ranged from 19 years old to 52 years old. Over half were, were women. In one case, a 23-year-old woman was brought back from a suspected overdose in a fast food restaurant in the Perth CBD in August of last year. So That's
1: incredible, isn't, isn't it? it? Isn't that great? And we've actually been calling for that for weeks, really, since the introduction of um, the uh, training program through Karma and saying everybody should be carrying it. The article goes on, Assistant Commissioner Brad Royce said the trial which still has three months to run, had been, quote, fantastic so far and had undoubtedly saved lives. He said he had watched, quote, amazing body cam footage of police officers from the Perth bike team helping the 23-year-old woman in the restaurant. Quote, she was unresponsive and they couldn't rouse her properly, Mr Royce said of the footage. They finally got it the naloxone into her through the nasal spray and it was pretty much instant. She went from almost comatose to almost instantly back on deck, wide awake and conversing with the officers. Quote, very few times in your career do you see something that amazing. That's an incredible um, positive risk reaction from a currently serving assistant commissioner. Um. Mr Royce said it was too early to say whether the trial would be would continue to be expanded but added the trial had been a significant project for WA police. Quote, <clears throat> quote from him, Hopefully at the end of the trial we can sit down and work our way ahead but for me in 28 years of policing to be able to give out something that saves lives this quickly has been quite significant, he said. These people's families, family. These people. These are people's family members that are being saved. Quote: One of the main tasks and duty of police is to preserve life and save lives. So to be able to have a tool that you can effectively use so quickly is pretty amazing. That's a great response. Isn't a, it? and it's a really good line, yes. I reckon, to put up on top of the promotion of any. Um, trial like this, it's a really good line to come from an assistant police commissioner currently serving. And let's hope it that message resonates well, with I hope it pa- is other passed jurisdictions. On. Yeah. yeah. Police figures released in the Western Australian last year on the eve of the trial showed fatal opioid overdoses were occurring at a rate of just over two per month in Western Australia. The figures, based on initial police inquiries and toxicology results, showed there were 29 deaths linked to opioids in 2020. 20 of those were heroin-related as of june thirty last year there had been fifteen deaths across WA attributed to heroin and other opioids. Heroin was the primary factor in fourteen of those deaths. And that's I think that's amazing. Amazing, yeah. yeah. No. And it's a really good response and a really good promotional tool for not only the trial that we do that karma does, but also to get the rest of the community on board and the police. Because they're often last cab, to take Well yeah. the first cab off the rank when they're calling to Triple O. Mm. Yeah. They don't only just ask they ask for police, police as much as fire. they ask yeah. for ambulance, yeah. but they often ask for police. Yeah. When they're worried about a death. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a really good idea for it to be picked up by all police forces,
0: absolutely around Australia. Yeah, we can only exhort other jurisdictions yeah. to take that
1: up. Well, one of the reasons why it was so popular in the United States was because no one could afford to buy it. Mm. There wasn't there wasn't enough in the way of supply to be given out to all health services, so they had to buy it. Most of the non-government sector health services couldn't afford to buy it. Well,
0: the prices went up when That's the right. opioid overdoses became more prevalent. Well,
1: 100,000 dead yeah. over a that's a That's lot of people. phenomenal,
0: yeah. I've got a short piece about the New South Wales Drug Drive and Inquiry. Listeners to the show will know um, that our opinion on this, that it's oh, yes. bad law. It's not really making the roads safer. It's just another tool in the war and people use drugs. But anyway, this is by Martin Lane from Cannabis, uh, 8th of April. A government inquiry into the road transport am- amendment, in brackets, medicinal cannabis exemptions from offences bill 2021, has prog- progressed to the submission stage in New South Wales. New South Wales Greens Member of Parliament, Kate Fairman, introduced the bill to the Legislative Council late last year. It provides an exemption from a drug-driving offence if an individual has been prescribed and used a medicinal cannabis product in accordance with the Poisons and Therapeutic Goods Act 1966 or a corresponding act of another state or territory. Users of prescribed medicinal cannabis currently risk being charged with a drug-driving offence if THC is detected in their system during a roadside drug test. And I know from my own experience the number of people that have come in with, you know, having to go to court for having had THC come up, you know, positive... It just tra- a trace response you know yeah. not even enough to impact <laughs> their
1: the current impaired yeah not like not enough to impair no let alone the fact that it might not have been currently
0: consumed could you have know, been just days recently ago.
1: consumed could have been ages ago yep well
0: it stays in your fatty tissue for three know, months yeah a long time
1: well a mu- yeah a long time
0: depending on the person but you know it, it it's it's bad law. It's mm. you know, like we know with blood alcohol, there's a lot of scientific evidence that's beyond doubt about the impairment at certain levels of blood alcohol yeah. content. You know, but
1: there's no research on cannabis. Well, but there's a lot of stuff that we know anecdotally about cannabis. But people don't respect anything. It's not capital R research. Mm. Capital A anecdotal gets no. Um, looking at all. It is just yeah. not respected yeah. as information.
0: Yeah. Uh, in November 2021, the bill was referred to the Standing Committee on Law and Justice to conduct an inquiry which commenced uh, last this week. week.
1: Um, when was this? The 8th, or the 4th, 8th yeah, of the 4th, yeah, last week. Yeah,
0: so recent. So that's really encouraging and let's hope common sense prevails. Well,
1: um, yeah. But then, you know, we had the pill testing too, Geoffrey. Yeah. And that sort nothing. of...
0: Came huh? of that? Did they had Nothing the had the inquiry, and we've had all sorts. Well, we New South Wales especially, we have haven't something, they? What? Ice inquiry, had yeah. the
1: pill testing pill testing, and all of the recommendations were just knocked on the head.
0: Which is really.
1: What's the point of having an inquiry if you're not going to take any notice of the recommendations?
0: Yeah. No, that's a, a, a fair because point. Because they to don't
1: ask. suit your point. Don't suit your point of view or your political point of view. And
0: especially on the pill testing, when we know, um, well, especially pre-COVID when there was still, you know, the summer music festivals, you know, six, six to ten young Australians were dying every year of um, adulterated pills. I mean, yep. this is um, a tragedy.
1: And, oh, look, I can hardly wait, actually, for the you know, effects of the pill testing in the ACT mm-hmm. to be published. Yes. Because I think that that is being used as a capital R research Piece of research, people so looking really to the ACT. Need, yep, they yep. really need to take note of what it says and what it comes up with and make it into recommendations that are useful for the rest of Australia.
0: Indeed, ACT taking the lead again. Again, all right, you picked this one, Maz. This is um, another oldie but goodie from um, all these songs, are from the. Uh one hundred best Australian albums or songs from the one hundred best Australian albums, which um sort of covers yeah,
1: saves us from having to bring any more a whole than lot one set Australian of Australian albums CDs, yeah.
0: <laughs> and this is the only but I think still a classic. Um Russell Morris. The, oh yeah The Real Thing
1: Fabulous. Mm.
0: Russell Morris, The Real Thing from nineteen sixty nine, Marion. That's incredible. Over fifty mine? years ago. I remember when yeah. I first heard it as a youngster and I was blown away and yeah. it still stands up.
1: It still does too. It's terrific, isn't
0: it? Okay, welcome back to news from the drug war front. It's twenty three minutes after eleven. You're with Jeff and Marion, Studio One Two Double People Powered Radio, ninety eight point three FM, and we've got a story from regional Victoria about um, shortage of detox beds. What a surprise! Yeah, yep. but it's leading to some pretty um, nasty consequences. Sadly.
1: Indeed, it is. Okay, so the heading is "Fears regional Victorians are dying as a shortage of detox beds sparks length, lengthy wait lists." This is by Charmaine Allison from the ABC News, fourteenth of the fourth. Uh, that's not very long ago. It's only a couple of days ago, twenty twenty-two. Aaron Gilhooley was ready to turn his life around. Instead, he was told to keep waiting. Exposed to how many times have we heard this, Jeff? Exposed to alcohol and drugs at a young age. He was drinking at twelve and had been incarcerated by the time he was twenty-two. At thirty, he'd reached rock bottom, but never imagined addicted to, cock- to a cocktail of drugs and selling ice. But when he finally decided to get clean by signing up for a residential rehab bed, he met a dead end. Feeling hopeless and alone as he languished on a long wait list, he soon spiralled back into addiction and ended up back behind bars. It was only there that he finally received the help he'd been chasing. Detoxed while in jail, he was then referred to The Cottage, a residential rehabilitation facility in Shepperton. He's now clean and works there as the operations manager. But he said far too many people were still falling through the cracks, particularly in his region. He's quoted as saying people are saying it's quicker to go to jail and access rehab that way than to actually apply to public rehab from the community. Others are dying. They think no one out there wants to help them. That is a shocking indictment. It is.
0: But it sort of is consistent well, with what we've said for Have years. a look
1: at how many detox facilities are there available.
0: Yeah. There's you know, Not two in method,
1: the yeah. ACT, one that's medicated.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's not good There's enough. There's a shortage. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um Greater Shepparton does not have a dedicated alcohol and other drugs, rehabilitation and withdrawal f- facility. To access services, locals have to uproot their lives and travel long distances for treatment. Even then, the wait lists can drag on, usually stretching more than six months and you have to ring up every day too. That's not in the article, but I'm just saying that's what happens as well. And in the meantime, people are left in a dangerous limbo. Rebecca Lorraine's La, is is chief executive at Primary Care Connect, and a community health service. A community health service working with Shepparton's most vulnerable. She's had to watch helplessly as clients wait for residential treatment. She's quoted as saying, waiting can be really hard when you feel like your life's falling apart. Yeah, that's an understatement,
0: isn't it? Mm. Currently, the region's withdrawal services including detoxing, uh, in, include detoxing at home or a handful of beds in the region's small rural hospitals. And there's a quote uh, from Ms. Glewley, but in the three years I've worked at the cottage, we've only had one person detox in Shepparton. It's just too hard to get a hold of someone here to do a detox or even understand how to get started. Mm. Shepperton's not alone, um, as across regional Victoria, demand is continuing to far outstrip supply. In its 2021 to 2051 strategy, Infrastructure Victoria urged the state government to build more residential detox and rehab facilities across regional uh, Victoria within five years. Not only are there too few facilities, but its recruiting and retaining staff has also been an ongoing struggle. Scott Drummond, acting chief executive at the Victorian Alcohol and Drug Association, said these shortages could have devastating consequences and is quoted as saying, there are long wait lists for intake and assessment, wait lists for withdrawal, wait lists for residential beds. And in the meantime, there may be weeks or months of risky drug and alcohol use impacting the individual, their families and the community. End quote. It is a crisis that is only getting worse. According to VADA, the sub- substance abuse hospitalisations in regional Victoria increased by 50% in the four years leading up to 2018-2019, and there are concerns that these numbers have only continued to rise in the wake of the pandemic. Primary Care Connect said in the past two years they have seen an almost 300% increase in the number of clients seeking help for
1: alcohol use. Yeah. Mm. Um. It is it is a similar story at the 23-bed drug and alcohol residential rehab facility where Mr Gilhurley works. He said increased access to alcohol through home deliveries has been a major issue. Quote, I can understand why businesses did that, but that was a horrible idea. While the Victorian government is expanding the number of residential rehab beds across the state, some regions, including Shepparton, are still waiting Mr Glewley said the facility he worked at did not officially offer detox services and a severe lack of withdrawal facilities in the region was creating a bottleneck. Quote, a lot of our clients on alcohol or a cocktail of drugs such as GHB, ice and heroin, we require them to do a detox, he said. We speak to a lot of people who are really keen and ready to go but just can't find anywhere to detox safely. There can be other avenues for treatment, including consistent checkups with a doctor or detoxing at home with regular visits from a nurse. But these treatment options can be challenging, especially for those grappling with domestic violence or poverty. The quote goes on, and most doctors aren't willing to prescribe the medication required, Mr. Galulli said. A lot of people have abused the medication previously, so when they genuinely want to do detox, a lot of doctors are hesitant. In the uh, the meantime, Mr Gullulli feared there was an astronomical number of people giving up on treatment. I was one of those people," he said. "I started to look into it, but in the end, I thought I'd just continue to do what I was doing because it was just too hard.
0: And I think that's not just regional Victoria;
1: that's a national that, problem, Mary. That's right. That's universal. Yeah. Um, and as I say, when you have to ring up every day to check up on a residential treatment bed being available because there's a waiting list, um, it it becomes ludicrous when they're constantly saying... Because it's not like they tick you off and say, yeah, rang up, no one them." I mean, why would you keep on ringing up a place that just said no we every have, we time? We can't help
0: you, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. can't help you. And the thing with um, people reaching that point is they need help now. That's when, right, When they reach yeah. out for
1: help, that's when they need that's it. That's the time that they're ready to do it. And they've got to maintain their habits in between time. Exactly. Otherwise, if... And because they're maintaining habit inevitably it's going to increase, then just it's just not doing anybody any good. And you're stuck in the black market, so yeah. there's all those
0: problems of yeah, paying for it, um, adulterated and, drugs. And
1: as that Mr Gallooli said, you know, he ended up in jail and that's how he got detoxed. Yeah. That's not the right way to go. Just not the right way to no, go. No,
0: no. No, I think that's a very important story. And um, how many promises were made? The National Ice Task Force promised no. to spend money on, you know, expanding uh, access for detox for people with um, ice, ice issues. issues. Yeah. And
1: yet, may be. well, my problem with that is do they know what to do? With detoxing no. from ice, do they really know how to manage it?
0: Well, there's no current pharmacotherapy options, so that's well, a big I'm problem. i was just
1: thinking maybe it's just an abstinence-based, like a mm. um, you're locked in and you can't get out, yep. but they provide you with nothing but maybe a bit of benzo mm. to settle you down. While well, you cold
0: turkey, yeah.
1: while well, you go cold turkey, yeah, I just can't can't see that it would be um, an inviting. Way of accessing any kind of detox or getting into detox.
0: It's not really encouraging people to think that there's actually genuine support when and when when they need, or care when they need it. And there's
1: been no research into it. You know, again, we're back to this bit about what is, what counts as research, and how do you deal with an issue like ice, when we know that a lot of people who've used ice are still suffering from withdrawal problems. Years after they stopped using, mm.
0: there's a big gap in
1: there. there is a big gap, and yeah. you know I have a friend at the moment or an associate at the moment who's in uh, was in Clare Holland House who you know needed something fairly quickly and ran away from Clare Holland House because wow. he couldn't get um, properly pro- looked after for pain. the way that he or- wanted to. Well, I don't know that it was for pain, I think it was probably for something else okay. like ice. Yep. But maybe. Yep. The uh, the issue is that he's dying in a year. So a week, sorry, not in a year, yeah. within a week okay. or so. so. So what can you expect? In the from way of this person, are you going to expect him to detox while he dies? That's
0: crazy. You What's should, the
1: outcome going to be anyway?
0: You should have a right to a dignified passing.
1: You would think so, wouldn't you?
0: I would always have thought so, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, um, go to a quick song, then we'll come up uh, with the New Zealand story, which we yeah, don't cover we New Zealand very often. Haven't, but,
1: haven't heard anything from New Zealand for a long time, but. With, um, it's
0: quite a good one a about
1: new, yeah, it is a good one.
0: Economic return from yeah, from
1: inject- good research. I think something that we need to take note of.
0: Indeed, I thought uh, this is sort of a an extension of our tribute to the late Chris Bailey. Uh, this is the Saints and Swing for the Crime. The Saints. All right, that was the Saints and Swing for the Crime. It's eleven thirty-seven on Community Radio Two wxfm ninety-eight point three, People Powered Radio. And you have with Jeff and Marion uh, from Studio One. And this is news from the drug war front. And we promised before the song that we would have um, a piece from New Zealand, which we don't do many stories yeah, from new zealand
1: very rarely do anything from new zealand but for a long time there wasn't anything to be done from new zealand let's face it that's true so jacinda Ardern seems to have made a difference but also this is information that we haven't had access to from australia and it's uh, important because it's economic and that's important to most governments well, it
0: needs to show makes that a it's a big difference money well invested yeah uh, it's entitled a needle exchange program doubles its economic return uh yeah. needle exchange new zealand media release from scoop health news 11th of april new research shows that the new zealand needle exchange program or NZNEP, has doubled its economic return to our public health system over the past 20 years the program costs 5.88 million dollars to run in 2021 Without the program, a public health system could have expected costs in 2021 of almost 40 million to treat viral blood-borne diseases such as HIV or hepatitis B and C and injecting-related injuries. This equates to $6.79 in benefits for every single dollar spent on the program. Philippa Jones, national operations manager of NZNep, said in a media release, quote, "Not only are we directly reducing harm to people who inject drugs, people." PWID and in some cases saving their lives but we are also improving the health and well-being of people who inject drugs and reducing the the incidence of HIV and hepatitis in the community. New Zealand's HIV rate amongst people who inject drugs is one of the lowest in the world.
1: And that's really important and was something that was made clear during the HIV uh, epidemic in Australia that uh, the rate amongst injecting drug users was actually very low it was well, i can not remember showed the success stats, of but it the pro- program did show the success of the intervention exactly. of peer education programs and, it and the saves exchange money program. too even
0: if you don't care about the lives and the of-
1: saving of the money was just the main um, motivator if you like for governments to get involved and support needle exchange programs Indeed. and peer education programs absolutely anyway the article goes um,
0: on and i think it? there's one more quote yep. uh, new the new research shows that we're providing one of new zealand's most successful public health programs we are well and truly punching above our weight in the time we've been operating there have been dramatic developments in treatment for hiv and hepatitis modern treatments for hep c are shorter and we've talked about those we direct have. acting antivirals yep. that you have a very high cure rate and much more effective. However, they are significantly more expensive than previous treatments and these costs are paid by all of us as taxpayers, she says.
1: Yeah, but when you think about it, that probably would rather pay for um, keeping people alive and well than for allowing people to die expensively. I would think so, yeah. The article goes on, the new data are a part of a report commissioned by the New Zealand NZNEP, NETA Exchange Program, and undertaken by interns at the Department of Economics and Finance at the University of Canterbury. It follows 2002 research which identified savings of $3.35 for every dollar spent on the program. It increased, so that's 300%, 325% basically. Um, The increase since 2002 is most likely a result of an increase in the New Zealand population and resulting increased prevalence of hepatitis B and C in New Zealand, changing drug use patterns and the higher cost of newer, more effective medical treatments. Quote, the facts are clear. We provide value to our clients and the whole community, and to the whole community. Our program is even more relevant than it was 20 years ago, says Philippa Jones. NZNEP opened its doors in 1988 to supply sterile needles and syringes for people who inject legal or illegal drugs. In response to the threat of HIV AIDS, Whereas today's focus is more on hepatitis C. We actually trained them. Geoffrey, the ACT, um, introduced needle exchange training to awesome. um, New What's Zealand from, from Canberra. Oh, this awesome. was from Canberra because we had the national demonstration model. So we actually had, again, had Canberra actually had, setting the, yep, the lead. had a role in setting the lead for everyone. Yeah. Um, as well as supplying sterile equi- injecting equipment and harm reduction equipment for an estimated 8,000 or 15,500 people on an annual basis, New Zealand NEP safely collects and disposes of users' equipment and provides education and support services for people who use drugs. New Zealand was the first country in the world to introduce a national government-funded needle exchange program, which was originally operated by several trusts, six of which still exist and now provide services across New Zealand. Very successful um, outcome. Well, it is a successful outcome indeed, yeah.
0: Uh, It goes on to say, 34 years later, the service dispenses needles and syringes all around the country through 20 uh, dedicated needle exchanges two mobile services, 197 pharmacy partners, and an online store, as well as offering hepatitis C testing, harm reduction support and advice to clients. Many of its clients are unwilling to seek support from normal healthcare services, which we were saying before, Mary, because they are using illegal drugs or because of real or perceived stigma from health workers. Mm. They are using a range of stimulants, opioids, and also steroids. And there's a quote, people who inject drugs can be high functioning members of our community. They might be your lawyer, your personal trainer, one of your work colleagues or the person you sit next to on the bus. Regardless of who they are, they receive our support with no questions asked, said uh, Philippa Jones. The University of Canberra Research highlights uh, NZNEP's role in preventing future harm and calculates that by 2026 it could have prevented 2,600 people from contracting hepatitis C. That's it substantial mm, number. That's a
1: large number, another for, positive for result. In particular, yeah.
0: There are very clear benefits to the wider community from our program. Not only do we offer harm reduction advice and access to health and social support for our clients, but there are also clear economic outcomes which benefit the whole community, said Philippa Jones. So, that,
1: that's really interesting um, report, really interesting to know that New Zealand NEP is now a government-run facility and government... Sponsored and funded um, national program, which means that there's no up and down in availability and that's kind of what we want to see happen with uh, the naloxone program. That it becomes
0: standard, across, be the standard across the country. standard across the country
1: and federally funded. Yes. Yeah, and made available. Because the problem with the... Um, I mean, it's made available through the government's um, public health benefits scheme, yeah, the the pharmaceutical benefits scheme, the PBS. So that's important.
0: But it costs to buy it over the counter. But it
1: costs to buy it over the counter if you don't have um, the training for it, if you haven't got the training and can't get it through, you it- know, just a replacement it so could that's be expanded issue. yeah it could be expanded, and keeping it down at PBS level for everybody would be a really good idea in Australia, made available for organisations such as the police absolutely the, is um really important
0: the, the the more naloxone that is in more hands and more services and frontline you know responders, yes. the better it's, yes. you know it's it, it's it's no, it's a no brainer really.
1: Well, you would think so, but um, if New Zealand has actually costed it out, that means that there's been a need to do so, I would think, politically. Um, And that's because somebody will have asked in Parliament a question Mm. at some stage or another, why is this being funded at a national level? And I would think that having that answer there ready to hand has been... Uh, politically a yeah. very useful tool to
0: have. Absolutely, yeah, it ticks all the boxes. Yeah. All right,
1: uh might go to another
0: song. This is uh one of my personal favorites. It's Rose Tattoo and uh, Bad Boy for Love. Oh. <laughs> all right, that was Rose Tattoo and Bad Boy for Love. Um We'll end up with a story from the US. Um, harmful harm reduction, question mark. The controversial nature of US safe injection sites by Francisca Palacios. Um, April this is 8th.
1: interesting, really, given that it comes from the United US States. and how yeah?
0: negative they've been towards any harm reduction, let alone safe injection sites. Yep. Drug overdoses in the US have grown enormously over the past five years. As a consequence, public health officials across the country have lobbied for harm reduction policies. In December 2021, New York City became the first city in the United States to open a supervised injection center hoping that a safe haven for drug users would lower overdose rates and the transmission of diseases through used needles site critics on the other hand evoke the illegality of the drugs themselves and by proxy safe injection sites nevertheless neither side actually addresses the root cause Uh, of drug overdoses specifically continued gaps in access to healthcare and also prohibition
1: yeah Yeah. not a surprise to us jeff yeah
0: since 2015 rates of overdose deaths in the us have doubled initially the spike in drug use coincided with the widespread use of fentanyl in drug production As a more potent and yet cheaper drug, fentanyl gained traction in many markets, especially for heroin. In turn, the US saw an unprecedented increase in drug overdoses last year, totaling 100,000 deaths in the first 12 months of the COVID-19 pandemic alone. The compounding rise of mental health problems, loss of social connections and diminished access to treatment resulted in record high overdoses. In response, local health departments across the US have lobbied for safe injection sites.
1: Mm. New York City's safe injection sites set an important precedent for drug policy. These sites were created with the intention of reducing the number of drug-related deaths from overdoses and disease transmission. Equipped with clean needles staffs with emergency medical training and the opioid antagonist naloxone, which rapidly reverses a drug overdose, which we know, officials hope these centres will tackle the immediate risk of using drugs. In addition, proponents of these sites hope that they will disseminate information about rehabilitation centres and treatment alternatives. New York, however, is not the only American city to campaign for this public health intervention. Four other cities across the country have attempted and failed to establish their own safe injection sites. But in March 2022, Rhode Island's legislative Legislature passed a law that would allow private parties to submit applications to establish, quote, harm reduction centres monitored by the Rhode Island Department of Health. The pilot program will provide a clearer picture into the Rhode Island opioid epidemic, which claimed 322 lives in 2021 and save lives. This is the country's first statewide law authorising safe injection sites. In San Francisco, proponents received criticism over concerns that these sites would foster crime in surrounding neighbourhoods. Seattle and King County Public Health green-lighted injection sites before facing backlash from Acting Attorney-General Jeffrey A. Rosen for their supposed illegality. In Boston and Philadelphia, Massachusetts Governor Charles, Charlie Baker and the US Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit, respectively, insisted on taking a legal approach to drug overdoses in op- opposition to establishing safe injection sites. They cited the 1986 Anti-Drug Abuse Act, which makes it illegal to operate a drug facility. While efforts in these, place, while efforts in these places have been unsuccessful, New York City and Rhode Island's establishment of safe injection sites exemplify important changes in the long-term management of the opioid epidemic. State legislatures and safe injection site supporters are now looking to the Biden administration for a new d- direction, and I hope that comes, Jeff. Supporters of these sites hope that President Biden's will follow pre- former President Barack Obama's easing of drug policy, whose Justice Department did not challenge states' legalisation of marijuana. In a press release in November 2021, the Biden administration announced steps towards combating the overdose epidemic. While the announcement did not explicitly name safe injection sites as a primary prevention method against overdoses, it did outline the intention of establishing harm reduction, evidence-based treatment and recovery support for all services for all Americans. Despite the... the Biden administration's intention to manage the overdose crisis through more lenient policy, it still failed to address the most important barrier to sustainable change for people who use drugs Comprehensive health care reform. Exactly. That's really important. Important, crucial. The next quote is site proponents in the United States, however, have failed to consider that the greatest barrier to treatment is not users' willpower, but rather access to health resources, which is exactly the same as Australia. Let's face it. Yes. spiking overdose and drug abuse rates, drug use rates, are not unique to the United States. Supporters point towards successful drug injection sites in Canada and Australia, hoping that their own cities can mirror the decline in drug overdose experienced in these counties, countries. In Canada, Vancouver's pilot site has shown significant reduction in fatal drug overdoses. Since 2003, the site's medical staff has intervened in six thousand, over 6,000 overdoses. A study in Canadian Family Physicians found, yeah, found that the establishment of the safe injection sites has reduced HIV infection rates, Another study in The Lancet found that the safe injection sites were more likely to seek treatment and less likely to engage in behaviour that risks HIV infection. While studies in Canada have evidenced that safe injection sites can successfully reduce drug overdoses, a key difference exists between the US and other developed nations with similar drug programs. One of the cornerstone arguments for safe injection sites is that these centers will act as more than just a safe drug a drug safe haven, but as a potential pathway to treatment centers. Site proponents in the United States, however, have failed to consider that the greatest barrier to treatment is not users' willpower, but rather access to health resources, which I think is fundamentally. I think so too. What it means. Yep. Um, and. It goes on to really say that the costs of treatment in the United States is far, almost out of reach for people. So if we don't provide safe injecting rooms, then information on how to get out of drug use is not going to be available. How to treat and stay safe while using illicit drugs is going to be an issue all the time, and they're going to keep on increasing Absol- overdose rates.
0: Absolutely, and even their rehab system is all based on a um, profit sort of well, model. And
1: absolutely, the same as the jail system is. That's know, pro- based on a profit model as well. You know, it's a private profit. Lot know, of, yeah, lot of money a to be made. Government sector, a- but pro- but for profit sector, and that's. You know there is a lot of money to be made from it. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's important. There are another two paragraphs to that, Jeff, but I don't think it's worth it. And we've really come to the end of the of the show anyway. What's left is yep. largely about access to healthcare facilities, and we don't have that problem except in so far as access to drug-using facilities or healthcare as a drug user is always going to be an issue.
0: Yeah, there's a lot that needs to be done. I mean, it's not as bad as other countries, but it's not perfect by a long way. No,
1: well, and the United States reflects what we have been through, but they're going through it quicker. And that's what drives me crazy, is that the United States has always said... Just say no, Mm. in a lot of ways, you know, they've said it in whichever way you can possibly think there is to say it, but they're now catching up.
0: Well, all the states that have legalised, you know, medicinal or recreational cannabis, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. You know, why aren't we following that example?
1: Yeah, well, they just... And all they need now is um, federal um, drug of approval, stamp of approval.
0: Yeah. Drug of approval. They've got to (laughs) reschedule cannabis at the federal level.
1: Indeed, and... I mean, that's what we're going to need is a federal stamp of approval. Otherwise, we're just not going to not going to succeed anywhere. What's well, going to hold back um, cannabis businesses because they can't look, get banking look services? Look, what's happening in a, in the ACT at the moment anyway? No matter what we do legislatively in our local assembly it can always be overrun by the federal because the federal
0: law hasn't changed that's right no that's a very good point okay listeners well i hope we had some stories and debate of interest that
1: were interesting yeah we had a good time
0: an australian flavor given this amrap week and um we'll be back again next week so take care of yourselves. yeah we
1: love you look after yourselves and please stay safe till next week so you can i don't know Hear how Jeffrey's ear goes, yeah? (laughs) Anything. We'll follow up next week. And we love you all. Take care.
0: Yeah, and any feedback um, is always welcome. Yep. Um, Positive or negative. Very keen to hear back from us. And we
1: honestly do try to get the songs that you want us to play, but we can't always find them.
0: We do try to. All right, we'll leave you.